Welcome again, everyone, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. Yes, once again, we have gathered here on the interwebs to discuss the films of the Walt Disney Company, be they from theme parks, from the movie theaters, from DVD, from Blu-ray, from digital download, every media possible, we cover it here because we am the Disney Film Project, and that be what we do. Uh, I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program and the person who writes at DisneyFilmProject.com when you go there. Uh, With me, I have the two people who contribute more to this show than myself uh, because they are film experts. That's what I say. They are are the expertise. They are the the, the brains of the operation, the people who provide the, the, the knowledge and foresight uh, that you have come to expect from this show. Uh, and that is amongst them, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, a blogger at touringplans.com and te- chief technical officer. Um, and he is quite technical at uh, disneydrivenlife.com. Hello, Todd. Hello, Ryan. It's a brazzle dazzle day. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's quite the day. I've, I've already been up, made breakfast, watched this movie, uh, mowed the lawn, and gotten ripped in 30 with jillian michaels i mean i'm i'm kicking it today it is you're, a razzle you're moving aren't you i am wow it, it's not even nighttime yet baby I'm i ran fine. almost six miles this morning yeah you did wow. that. this is the most fit podcast you'll ever see people except for a fitness podcast well you know this is the most fit non-fitness podcast that you'll ever see also fit and wonderful is miss Brianna Alessio, who is a world-famous blogger at Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com and brand-new blogger at disneydrivenlife.com. Hello, Brie. Hello, Ryan. How are you today? I'm well. What what are you blogging about at Disney Driven Life? I am actually the attraction specialist, so I'm blogging about the attractions within the Walt Disney World Resort, and I just posted my first blog about Splash Mountain. So excited. Wow. Of course, by the time people hear this, you'll have, you'll have had like 70 blogs up, but that's okay. Oh, let's hope so. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Because <laughs> the demand will just be so great that, you know, people are just going to be dying for you to, to post more blogs. That's Much what I'm too kind, sir. Much too kind. Thank you. Yeah. But I, I read your first blog, as a matter of fact, and it was quite lovely. Thank you. Thank you. For all your writings. Uh, also, a person who's quite lovely is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who edits this stuff down, uh, and I believe has started a penalty system for all the editing that um, she has to do. And so that's not really fair, I don't think. I, but you know, we'll have to discuss that off air. Hello, Cheryl. It's not that bad of a penalty system. It's only a penny. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have a jar of pennies waiting on my bookcase. <laughs> Just hand them over, then we're covered for life. There you go. I like it. <laughs> I'm going to go take a dollar and cash it in for those rolls of pennies, and I'm just going to ship them to you. That works. <laughs> and that'll be all set for the machines at Disney. See? There, well, there go. you go. You'll, you'll be like penny press heaven right there. All right. So uh, this today we will be discussing Pete's Dragon, the 1977 film uh, by Walt Disney Productions, uh, starring Elliot the Dragon. I believe that's the only person worth mentioning in the cast, right? There's no other famous people in the cast. No, except, like, the entire cast. Yeah. <laughs> Every one. Uh, yeah, Elliot, Elliot the Dragon. Uh, most famed, I would assume, for people these days from his appearance in the Main Street Electrical Parade. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. 
along uh, with Fred. I would imagine that most people who see the Main Street Electrical Parade now um, look at this giant green and purple dragon with a boy sitting on its neck and go, that's kind of weird. But it's a dragon! But it's a dragon. <laughs> it is. And he has, like, smoke coming out of him. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. It is. It well, it's first of all, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm guessing most people have not seen this movie because it's not exactly one that's been in big rotation. No. But that's okay. Um, I was I mentioned originally released in 1977, uh, November of 1977, and had uh, this is another one sort of similar to uh, some other films we've talked about. Happiest Millionaire being one uh, good example that's had multiple running times throughout the history of its uh, oh, release. Goodness, yes. <laughs> Enlighten us, Mr. Wilkie Sluice. No, so um. When, when it went on its road show, right, it was 134 minutes long, and there were a couple things that they felt didn't, the audience didn't like, so they cut it to 121 minutes when they first released it in the theaters. Okay. But wait, it gets better. Okay. Well, first of all, the most noticeable difference was, for some reason, the I saw a dragon scene that occurs in the bar. Yes. Okay. Which I can, I can only think was supposed, was in this movie to try and recapture that, uh, the let's have a drink on it from Happiest Millionaire, because that's, like, exactly the same scene. <laughs> yes, which is an unfortunate thing. Yeah, but, and, but, that. it, but that's, it, it is. Um, it's, uh, then, because it was, uh, did you know this? It was the first Disney film to be released on VHS and Betamax. I did know that, which struck me as quite odd. Uh, it's because they had a deal with, uh, I think it was uh, Photomat at the time, was for some reason in doing video cassettes or something, and they made, Disney made a deal with them and released it. Hmm. Uh, now, now, my question is: Was do you know was it released like right after the movie came out? Like like things are now or when? Nineteen eighty, yeah. So pretty close, actually, considering. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Um, Disney held out on the whole VHS Betamax thing for a while. You know, so you know, yeah, eight, they they were late. They were late to the game in nineteen eighty when it when this. Yeah, happened. and it wasn't until it really wasn't until uh, Eisner and Wells came in in eighty four that they kind of embraced the whole home video market. Right, and it was that's always that's been a huge win for them. I mean, that's they make oh absolutely a ton of money from that on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, when now I. I'm presuming that that was 121 minutes long, though I read something – I read different accounts where some people claim it was 128 minutes also, okay, that original version. But yeah. when it was re-released on, on, uh, on the mo in the movie theaters in 1985. It was 128 minutes long, okay? Mm -hmm. um, then the TV versions of it were 92 minutes long, and they took out the entire candle on the water scene. <gasps> For sure. <laughs> On television, I think Bree um, just died, and that's actually the scene that I watched. Probably have seen the most is that is that television version that was on three, four times a year growing up, you know. And also, I believe one one of those songs um, had also was nominated for um, an award, but didn't but didn't win because some other song was out there. It, it was that song, "Candle on the Water." Candle on the Water was nominated for the Oscar for best yeah. original song, but it didn't win. Yeah, two two Oscars actually got nominations for, it and it didn't win either one. Yes. Um, and then, and then finally, the version that if you if you rent it today or buy it today, is 129 minutes long, and that is the so-called high flying edition. That's mine. Yep, that's the one I watched. And that's what I got got off of iTunes. So, and and that's what I got off of Amazon. There you go. And that's what I got for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. 
Not your two front teeth? No. Oh. I has them already. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the other thing that's interesting about this, too, is so it's a live-action film, but with uh, Elliot the Dragon is animated. And this is the first movie that does not feature one of Walt's nine old men doing the animation. Correct. Uh, which is very interesting. Uh, because the, the, the studio went through a period of sort of transition between the nine old men and their style to until we got into what most people refer to as the second golden age where we got Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and those movies mm-hmm. uh, where they had a lot of animators that did different styles and it just, you know, they didn't, they didn't turn out the animated movies of the same ilk and quality. Right. Well, it, it was also, it was also interesting because, um, in this time period when they did animation, even if the nine old men weren't actually working on the movie, they at least at the very least reviewed the movie and they didn't even do that for this movie. Yeah. This was completely, you know, outside of their world. Um, which it's interesting because I mean, Elliot, Elliot's fine. This animated character. I mean, I don't know if what you guys thought, but I, I didn't see, it wasn't like I looked at Elliot and said, Oh, that's a definite difference from what I've seen before. No, no, I mean, I was telling Ryan before the show started that um, Elliot is now officially one of my favorite Disney characters. He's just so heartwarming, and you can't help but love him. I know. Did you know he only appears in 22 minutes of the film, though? Really? Yeah. That makes sense, because, I mean, he's not—he's not, he's invisible most of the time. Correct. Yeah. Although That's, I just I, want to point out that some of these animators are now on current films, which, which, I, which we love, like Wayne the Pooh and Tangled. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot so, of these guys did stick around, but, but they they didn't make their name until you know much later. I, I saw but, Glenn Keane's name mentioned in the yeah. And yeah. this was the beginning of the end, though, for Don Bluth with the studios. He this was this th- so to be fair, I, I I don't dislike Don Bluth at all. I mean, I love it. I was in case, for those that don't know, I was one of the original ten uh, recorded wins for the Dragon's Lair game. Just so you know. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> um, well, first, we, need, we probably need to explain who Don Bluth is. Yes. So you want to do that, or sure? Just, yeah, go ahead. So Don Bluth was a guy who um, was an animator at the studio, studied under the Nine Old Men, and he he basically at a certain point left Disney because, it, it, and it was two years after this um, in '79 that he left, um, and he went on to produce the movies, you know, Secret of Nim, American Tale, All Books Go to Heaven, and then the game that that Todd just mentioned, Dragon's Lair. Um, and Space he, Ace. And Space Ace, yes. Uh, but it, he worked He worked with Disney, you know, for a long time. He grew up at Disney, um, worked there, you know, early on in the 60s and then left for a little while in the 70s and then he came back. Uh, and, and But it was in 79 he went out to do his own studio um, and left. He left actually during the production of, of Fox and the Hound. And there's a lot of in the animation community a lot of discussion about what you know what Bluth did and and whether he was right or wrong about um, his contention, which was that the Disney animated features had sort of lost their way, for lack of a better term. He 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 basically said you know the Disney animated films are no longer what they what they were back in the day, and he he left and started his own studio to do different films. Um, I will argue that the films he put out, although very good, are not nearly as good as the Disney films, but that's a whole other argument. Right, because, because good, cause really good animation is not just about the artist, it's also about the story, and some of his stories are in his 
later work. So yeah, that's that's really the problem with them. Um, yeah, he, I agree. He he also had big issues with Studio Fat Cats. Yes, okay. that's true. I mean, big issues because especially this is why this movie was the big start is because they were apparently to get this done. Now one of the now to be fair, uh, Don Bluth can I understand can be a little hard to work for. Um, he's he's very like minded to Walt, where everything has to be perfect. But like Ryan was saying, is there was a point where where Walt realized that he couldn't be doing work for studios to do the work that he wanted to do, and that's the same conclusion that that Bluth came to. Yeah. Okay. And that's what I mean with like my, when I say like minded. Um, what what happened was is though that he insisted things like for for this movie he insisted that all the cells be hand drawn no xeroxing of cells they all be hand drawn they all be hand inked which is were... crazy by the way yes it like it, that. yeah <laughs> it, it, it caused now mind you though the movie still came in on time but the guy in order to do it the guys were working 14 to 20 hour days every single day to do it and what what really upset him though is that they were doing this to meet the schedule demand so that the studio didn't lose money. Okay, no raises were given to anybody on this who worked on this movie during the time of the movie. Okay, and no bonuses were given at the end of the movie. Okay, because of studio contracts of the day, anyone who worked on the movie weren't getting proper kickbacks because that was all resolved after this movie was released. Okay, and then he had to deal with uh, the fact that Ron Miller and um, and his Contingents split three billion dollars in bonuses that year, and yet nobody on and yet nobody on the movie sets for that worked any of the movies that year saw this yeah. money. So, I mean, it was it was a very strange time at the studio in that sort of drift between the last few projects that Walt set up until you know until eighty four when um, when Eisner and Wells came in and started changing things around. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is not to give them credit because if it was up to them, they would have gotten rid of animation altogether. But, uh, it, you know, fortunately they did not. Um, well, they did eventually, but that's a, that's a whole other story for a long, long time from now. Um, but Pete's Dragon, I think, ended up being um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Good, not great because of that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. I, I think it was a – here's the thing, right, is the movie – now, I loved it when I was a kid, but I was already going – moving towards being a teenager. I was a tween. I would be what was defined as a tween at this point in time. Yeah. Okay. And um, let, let's let's face it. When, you, when you're in the same year, okay, movies that are being released that are game-changing movies like Star Wars and Close Encounters are being released in the same year – as this is not the movie you put out that same year. Yeah, I think I, I, that's actually a really good point because I think the movie itself is it. I, I like it. I, I actually think it's really good. I was actually thinking while watching it, I hadn't watched it in, in a few months um, and, and had forgotten some of the things. I was thinking while watching it that Disney theatrical needs to jump on this bad boy. You know, put this put this on Broadway or put it or off Broadway or whatever. I absolutely agree. It's it's all about the musical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you have the right cast um, to put this together, and you can pull off the special effects, I mean, the whole thing is staged like a musical, you know. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so if you have the right cast and you can pull off the special effects, which let's face it, if they can do Spider-Man, turn off the dark, they can do Peach Dragon. Um, <laughs> I think 
I think it would be a huge success in you know in a Broadway setting. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? I think it could even do better than the movie did because I I one of oh, my big, one of my biggest problems with this movie is the directing. I think it's I love the musical aspect of it. Don't hear me wrong, and it's I it, it's great. It's it's got a lot of it's got a lot for kids. It's got a lot for families to sit down and watch, but the directing makes the actors look like they're doing bad jobs when they're really not. Mm. Okay. And yeah. so a lot of the acting is so rigid and so stale, okay, because I have a feeling that they were forced into these into these scenes and I don't think there was a lot of explanation or discussion before going into them, which is a sign of what I feel is a not a good director. Okay. Gotcha. And I think that if you get a good stage director, I think you could have a fantastic show. Yeah. yeah. The only person I, I really have to say I really liked out of all of them, Ellen Elliott, was um, Helen Reddy's character. Nora. Nora. I think, I think she was the only one that they did well, and I liked her character a lot. I kind of liked her father, eh, I mean, but everyone else I really did not like. Hmm. And I don't know if it, if it's taught if it's right. Maybe it's the directing. I don't know. I I mean I felt some of these scenes were too long. Like the mud scene is, is was crazy long. The first yeah, the mud, opening the opening of the movie. The first mud scene was like crazy long. I mean they should have moved on like you know, and then some of the other scenes were like, you know, were longer than they had have been. I, I had no idea that this was a musical, actually, until I started watching it. And when the Grogans came out and started singing, I actually jumped back. <laughs> I didn't realize. And then I had no idea that Shelley wintered well until I saw her name in the cast. I didn't know she was in it or what character she'd be playing. And it took me <laughs> to realize that under that makeup, that was her. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's bizarre. Yeah, so the whole movie starts with uh, this the shot, like Bree mentioned, of Shelley Winters leading the Gogan clan into the woods pursuing Pete and Elliot. But what was interesting to me is the first shots of the movie are Pete riding on Elliot. And Elliot's invisible at the time. Uh, so Elliot's the dragon, in case we haven't mentioned that. It wasn't like they set up some big reveal and they showed the dragon later. It was, you know, here he is right here and he's invisible. And that's you got to accept that premise like right away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Definitely. But I, I, I don't know. I think that's good because it just it, – it doesn't I, – I don't necessarily love when movies take forever to get to the point on something, which is very yeah. common in modern movies. Like every director thinks that that's a necessity. Like people want that. Okay. Yeah. Like I – like okay, like Transformers. It would be a much better movie if he just assumed that people understood that the robots that we don't have on the planet Earth actually came from an, another planet. He could probably spoiler. assume that, and it would be much better. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you have to call it spoiler alert for the, one of the top grossing <laughs> films of the year. I think we're okay there. Uh... No, I went back and forth on it, because there, there's definitely a way that you could do it, like, and reveal Elliot, you know, like, five or six minutes later when he attacks the Gogans during the middle of the musical number. Yeah. But, you know, I also like the fact that they basically just came right out front and said, okay, there's an invisible dragon in the movie. Deal with well, it. It's kind of like what we were saying with the Emperor's New Groove. Um, when he re when Pacha realized almost right away that it was Cusco, 
as the yeah. llama. You know, they yeah. just gave it to you right then. And that's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit. They just, they didn't hide it. They didn't drag things out. They just let you know. Yeah, because ultimately, you just have to accept that fact in order to make the movie work. You're going to a movie called Pete's Dragon. Guess what? There's a dragon. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't have to play games with that point at all. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I agree. So the Gogans are chasing Pete because they bought him, which is kind of odd to pay $50 for an orphan and buy him. Plus 50 uh, cents. Yes, for legal fees, <laughs> as they say in the song. Uh, yeah, but like, like Cheryl mentioned, the opening song, it's called The Happiest Home in These Hills, which is, it's sort of a parody. So half of it is them trying to entice Pete and get him to come back with them by saying they have the happiest home in these hills. And the other half is the boys talking about how they're going to string Pete up. So it makes a nice, it's, it's a fun song, but yes, it does go on quite a bit. Too long. Yes, a fun song about slavery. Well, you know. <laughs> these things happen. Child labor, you know. But, it, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, I was like, Brie, I, I remembered it was a musical, but I didn't remember how musical it was. I mean, it really is built out like a Broadway musical. Mm. You know, all the, the major plot developments happen through song. Yeah. So watching this this time uh, in the beginning, it was a nice sort of, oh, yeah, that's right. This is what this is going to be about. Um, but, but Pete manages to get away. So then they go into Passamaquoddy after they share breakfast, of course. And the song with them at breakfast is, frankly, annoying. I don't know if you guys felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> it does go on a little too long. Yes, <laughs> well, I would agree. Well, and the kid can't sing. That's the other problem. <laughs> Which is funny because they, if you read anything about this this movie online, they talk about what a great what a, what a great singing pair that um, Helen Reddy and Shawn Michaels were together. It's like, yeah, John Marshall, yeah, John Marshall, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, a little wrestling on uh, the brain. Yeah, he just <laughs> yes. He doesn't. He does not super kick Nora in any at any point during the during. The... <laughs> it's just weird because like, well, when the two of them are together, it's not too bad. You know, it's not not not. You know, he's he's not a, a like a, a classically trained singer or anything. But I mean, he's okay. He's passable. But this, it's like him singing off key. With Elliot just going... <laughs> yeah, I think she carries him. Yeah, I agree. In in the songs that she does. And I wanted to go back and discuss something. Why didn't they bring up the subject until Nora, until Nora brings it up? Well, Nora kind of brings it up. But it's like of, of them using him for child labor. I mean, these days, I mean, that would be like unheard of. You uh, mean, mm -hmm. you, yeah, you so, so I, much trouble. I was like, I didn't understand that, that, you know, they didn't tell, I mean, he, he says, I know all this stuff, but, you know, they just have me in the ground and I get all these accidents. Yeah, so there's an, there are anachronistic issues with this movie to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because, ah, you know, life was not like that in the 70s. 
I, <laughs> I grew up in the 70s. I was the kid's age in the 70s. <laughs> well, I don't See, think I th- it's supposed to be set in the 70s, though. Yeah, I was going to ask. I think it was supposed to be set, what do you guys think, like the 40s or something? No, I think it's more like turn of the century or, or, or you know, the, the teens or 20s. Except for oh. one problem, okay, is, is Paul, when he comes back at the end. By the way, folks, Paul comes back. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for you. <laughs> All right. He, he mentions Hurricane Bell. Oh. You're going to have to explain that one okay. for me. Okay. So Hurricane Bell, he, he mentions the name of the hurricane, and he says Hurricane Bell, Okay. And he said he was crashed off the coast of South Carolina, and he was in the hospital, that whole thing, and right? And rolled over on the bed. That's right. And then Elliot <laughs> tipped him out of the bed, and he must have bumped his head and gotten his memory back, which is a great story. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. here's the thing, right? Movie was released in 1977, right? Yes. Paul had been lost at sea for a year, right? Yes. Okay. It works for Hurricane Bell because Hurricane Bell was in 1976, that has to be just a mistake on the actor's part. I, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me, you know, so. But, yeah, the clothes and everything just feel wrong for that. For So I think yeah. I, when it was supposed to take place, I have no idea. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be like the turn of the century. Because it the, the the story that it's based on, it was a, it was, there was an unpublished short story back in the 50s. Um, called Pete's Dragon um, that Disney bought the, the rights to, and they were going to use it for the Disneyland TV show. So think about if if the story was written in the fifties, it has to have been set, you know, probably twenty thirty years before. Is I'm guessing like the twenties, thirty something along those lines. Yeah, but but and, yeah, and they don't make it clear. That's for sure. Sure. Yeah, and not to jump back or change the subject or anything, but am I the only one who thought that the man in the ship with Paul when he was returning looked like the Gorton's fisherman? Yes, he did. No, no right? you're not the one who thought that. He might be have been the Gorton's fisherman. He, he might have been. fish with him. True. He did. See that? Yep. Yeah, see, the problem was the fish were all out looking for Paul. Of course, because Elliot told them to. Because <laughs> yeah. he has powers. That's what he does, man. Yep. Uh, Elliot's a superhero, if you think about it. Marvel could easily use him. Yes. Yeah. Team him up with, you know, some kid in Marvel Comics, I'm there. Totally. <laughs> I'm ready. He's going to be in Avengers 4. You mean on May 4th, 2012? No, no, that would be Avengers 1. I'm saying, like, in the fourth sequel. Oh, oh. oh in the fourth sequel, yeah. Because, you know, like, Downey Jr. will be too expensive by that point, so they'll That's need... That's true. <laughs> I thought they'd just call in Elliot to pay, play Fin Fang Foom. There you go. <laughs> like it. Yeah, so uh, back to Pete's Dragon. Uh, so Pete and Elliot head over to Passamaquoddy and cause some trouble, mm. for lack of a better uh, phrase. Uh, they, you know, Elliot is still invisible and walking through the town. He, he makes, you know, he knocks things over. He gets in trouble with the school marm. He, you know, just Elliot's a giant dragon walking through the middle of a town, and that causes issues. Footprints in the cement. Yes. I actually have a, I actually have a funny thing that I read about the, that scene with the cement footprints. Yeah. Uh, so what they had done was they had laid, they had laid a sidewalk and put real, real, like, well, not real, but like, you know, fake dragon footprints in it and let it harden, right? Right. And then what they were going to do was they were going to lay 
sheets of paper over it and then put the wet cement on top right before they filmed, right? So okay. that what they could do is as, as Elliot was supposed to be walking along, they were going to be pulling strings on the sideline and having the footprints appear, right? Because the, the wet cement would drop into the holes that already existed underneath and it would look like wet footprints. Oh. Okay. Very, cle- very clever special yeah, effects. Yeah, that seems like it would work, yes. The problem was is that they had to do it several to- they had to do the scene several times because the nighttime crew would see that they were supposed to have cement there the night before and they would lay the cement the night before and then the whole thing would harden so they'd have to like rip it all up and redo it every like a few times. Oh no. <laughs> because they weren't getting that it was supposed to be wet cement. <laughs> that's, oh, horrible. that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> If I was, if I'm the director, that goes to your bad direction comment, Todd. If I'm the director, I'm like, stop that. Yeah, it's it, exactly. it, it says something when somebody goes on to direct episodes of T.J. Hooker. That's all I'm saying. Hey, you know, Shatner <laughs> can't can't beat that. They can't uh, working no. with with the great thespian that is William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> Not even sure. <laughs> no, I won't say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's it, yeah, so he, he's causing all sorts of trouble, and Pete is outside the tavern. And as Todd mentioned before, we get, we get the let's have a drink on it, uh, I saw a dragon scene, because it's basically the same sort of scene that we saw in Happiest Millionaire. And, and not to mention, it's the same scene that we see in the Robin Williams Popeye movie, in case you've seen yes. that one. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, this, the, the tavern scene is sort of a, a trope, if you will. <laughs> And, and the and beer goes everywhere. Yes, which is such a waste. I was very upset about that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Of, I don't people pay for that beer? They're complaining about they don't have fish coming in, so nobody's going to have any money, and they're wasting beer. Right. Well, no thanks to Nora. She was kicking them and dancing and flying her legs all over the place. Well, Nora, and so Nora, played by Helen Reddy, is the daughter of Lampy, who's the the lighthouse keeper, who spends what ninety percent of the film drunk. <laughs> something close to that. Pretty yes. much, yeah. <laughs> by Mickey Rooney, which I did. You guys find that odd for this being a Disney film? Like he's really drunk. Yeah, he oh, really. I, I found it odd that they they gave Elliot liquor. That's why I found odd. Yes. Yeah, that I agree with that too. I wasn't really crazy about that scene. I something. Yeah, that was definitely I, out of place. I just want to say, drunk or not drunk, I think pretty much at the top of your list of things that stay in your head is not to give the fire-breathing dragon alcohol. Yes, <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's that's something that like you need a handbook to figure out. No, right. and you can and you can remember that even when drunk. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Fire. Other, alcohol. Bad. In other words, don't put Mickey Rooney and Red Buttons in a room together because bad things will happen. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Mickey Rooney as Lampy, I thought fabulous playing the drunk guy, and Nora as Helen Reddy also thought was, uh, or rather, Helen Reddy as Nora, uh, also great. I thought she she did a really wonderful job in this. In this, I've never, I've not seen her in other movies. Yeah, there's a Actually, reason for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she wasn't in other movies. Yeah, no, this was her last. Uh, she got she got panned by critics no, for this no. movie. She got no. She got her hit. No, her hit was before this. No, I am, no, but I am her woman. Hit was at the same time. In, in I that. am woman was a nineteen seventy hit that was given yeah. a Grammy in seventy two. This was a seventy seven movie. It was already a hit. She was already on the forefront of the um, the Music women, the women's, and the women's feminist movement. 
yeah. and stuff like that. Um, it was the song of the year in 1975 because it was uh, when the UN declared that 1975 was the year of the woman. She she was going on a world tour, singing her song. Nice. Mm. So no. I mean, she was already a hit in her in her own right, but I guess because she this was supposed to be her 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 singer songwriter cuts into being a film actress career, and it just didn't work out because she got panned by critics for the movie because the movie got panned by critics. Really? So critics really did not like Helen Reddy or the movie at the time it came out. I mean, I read some of this, but yeah, I was I was looking for the I was looking for the actual quote, and I never found it. So. Well, that's okay. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, I. It was this was supposed to be her cut into act being an actress thing, and it just didn't pan out because she didn't feel that she was well received. Interesting, because I feel like like your point earlier about you know this is the same year as those you know transformational movies like Star Wars and, and Close Encounters and stuff is a good point that that people this is a movie that feels like it could have been made by Disney in you know the sixties. Yes. Yeah. And so I think us watching it now probably will enjoy it more than somebody in 77 would have. That's Mm -hmm. probably true. You know? And I think that's the case for a few, like, you know, Disney obviously tried to to recreate the Mary Poppins phenomena several times. I mean, we we saw it with Bedknobs and Broomsticks. This is another attempt at that. And it, it doesn't work in recreating that, but I feel like it creates something different. Like, like you were saying, the actors are not, you know, not giving deep performances, and I think you're you're absolutely correct. That's the director, but I think that's kind of the point. Like it, it, like we said earlier, it feels to me like he directed this as though it were a Broadway musical. Yeah, and and like Todd was saying before, that some of the actors were very rigid. I felt that way with Nora a lot of the time. She she seemed not like she wanted to get too close to the other characters, and I don't think that was her fault at all. I think it was the director's fault. But Not I that he didn't like, do a good... No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was saying, like, I felt like that was part of her character, right? It was that she was hurting from Paul being gone, her her Gorton's fisherman loving friend. And she wanted to, you know, keep her distance and not get involved with other people. I felt like that was part of the character. Maybe, but then when she was talking to the Gogans and explaining, you know, you don't love Pete, pretty much we do, like she was doing that speech... She still seemed very distant to me. I don't know. Ah, yeah. I don't know. She may have been dis- distant because she was defending, you know, that, that you know, she she had at that point basically adopted Pete. Yeah. True. I, mean, I, I That's what I feel. There's a lot of camera staring by the actors and actresses in this movie. Did you ever notice yeah, that? Yeah, that's true. That is mm-hmm. true. And maybe that's yeah. part of what throws me off is because I, you know, I was taught you're just never supposed to have your stage performers do that. Right. Yeah. Also, something I do want to mention is um, the Tiara Talk Show did an interview with Helen Reddy on episode number five. So. Oh, okay. Go check that out, folks. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the whole the whole thing ends up with Pete going to stay with Nora and Lampy, um, and there's a few few musical sequences there. Uh, Pete and um, Nora sing the song "It's Not Easy," which is again a little interesting song, and we hear about Paul. Uh, who is he and the Gordon Fisherman are, are lost at sea? Or no, that's not true. He, he's lost at sea, and then the Gordon Fisherman brings him home because he trusts the Gordon Fisherman. Who <laughs> wouldn't? I mean, really, who wouldn't? 
You, you get a safe journey and fish sticks, because who, who can argue with that? And now I want lemon pepper fish. There you go. Oh, that but, yeah, I mean, and the, the neat thing about Pete is, like, he never backs down on the whole Elliot thing, right? He never gets other people to – he always says Elliot's real, even though everyone else kind of says he's – you know, Nora thinks he's imaginary. Lampy, even though he saw him, thinks he's imaginary at a certain point in the film. Um, but Pete never backs down, which I thought was kind of cool. Right. He's always – no, real guy. Yeah, um, and especially when that scene of insecurity seems to take place in a lot of films, not just Disney films, all films, where they, yeah. they kind of doubt their, themselves, the lead characters, and he, he never did. Yeah, and I'm sure that's part of one of the critics' you know, criticisms, is like the characters here are not exactly deep, I wouldn't say. No, I agree. But that, that's okay, because that's not the kind of film they were trying to make. Right. At least not in my mind. Uh, but the villain of the piece, Doc Terminus, uh, played by the, the inimitable Jim Dale, shows up the next morning in his cart with a sail, which I have to say <laughs> is awesome. I love how they referenced it, too, and he said, well, we can't tell them that we, lo- we, we lost the horses in the other town. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm, this reminds me of is, um, is the guy from Bedno- Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Dr. Emilius Brown? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I see that. It reminds me, too, of, um, in t- you know, you know the beginning of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, when the guy is standing up and talking about the sea monster, and he's mm-hmm. getting mocked by, um, by Kirk Douglas's character? Ah. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of that, too. The huh. whole traveling roadshow stage in the middle of town, everybody gather around sort of thing. You see that in a lot of Disney movies, oddly enough. Yeah. And and a few Twilight Zone episodes, just saying. Yeah. Ooh, creepy. Yeah. Uh, but Jim Dale, I can see Todd's chomping at the bit. What, what do we know Jim Dale for, Todd? <laughs> oh, um, currently? Yes. Uh, he is the narrator on Pushing Daisies. And? Oh. Was, yeah. What sorry. else does he do? What else does he do? Uh-oh. I missed oh, something. Oh, I, I got one on Todd. This is awesome. Oh. Go for it. Uh, Jim Dale is the reader of the Harry Potter audiobooks. He has won multiple awards for reading the Harry Potter audiobooks. I didn't know this. Sammy, Uh he has won everything. Yeah, he is the voice of the Harry Potter audiobooks. Interesting. So there's actually something very interesting between this movie and Jim Dale and Pushing Davies, okay? There's a whole episode of Pushing Daisies that is this um, this story. I, I read about this, but please enlighten me. Okay, yeah, so it's called The Le- the Legend of Merle McQuaddy. Okay, and all the character names, first of all, they're McQuaddy, which is Pat, which is paying attention to Passamaquoddy, right? Mm-hmm. And all the characters are named after, um, you have Elliot McQuaddy, who is Elliot. You have Merle McQuaddy, who's one of the Gro- Gogans. I, I also want to say Grogan for some reason. Um, <laughs> That's what it so, sounds like in the movie. I, yeah. I know, um, and uh, you know, so it's it, it's it's very so it's very fun, and it's the whole story. It's about a murder that takes place at the lighthouse. The wife, the inke- the lighthouse keeper's wife has died. The son is Elliot. Okay, and they have to figure out what and the and the wife was Nora. <gasps> okay, and that it's a whole investigation that they have to 
go through. So it's it's just very interesting. But all the it's every, the entire story, the lighthouse, everything is all patterned after Pete's Dragon. That's unbelievable. That's, That's really pretty cool. funny. I never watched that show, but I always wanted to. I've seen a couple episodes of it, but not a lot. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Speaking of the uh, lighthouse, which I think is interesting, that there were plans to move it. Um, and it was specially sh- constructed for the film to the Disneyland theme park, but it sadly deteriorated before it could be repaired. But I that thought that was interesting. Cool. Yeah. That would have been really cool, place. actually. Yeah. yeah well. Oh, well, sad. Yeah, these things happen. Uh, but yeah Doc Terminus goes through his whole thing about uh, where he can't say the name of the town Passamaquoddy and he's trying to win over the townspeople because Doc is a a traveling medicine show guy I don't know if there's a real term for that but that's Uh, what he is you you mean like perhaps snake oil salesman something like that rainmaker there we go okay Uh, but he and his his uh, his person Hoagie Played by uh, again Red Buttons, uh, try to they they finally do win over the town and are allowed to sort of stay and start selling their wares uh, through the course of the song. Is it yes. he or was anyone else weirder that he was named after a sandwich? <laughs> Great. Now I'm hungry, Cheryl. Yeah. Now we're all hungry. Let's now all we'll go have... to Subway or something. Let's all have uh, fish, Gordon's fish, and hoagies. Ooh, fish and hoagies. I love it. Mm. Mm, sounds like it's time for a po' boy. I'm going to head to New Orleans. I'll be back. Uh, yeah, but, it, I mean, Doc Terminus is supposed to be, it, well, he is the villain of the piece, right? Yes. I, I still love him because I just think he's he cracks me up. His facial expressions, his, you know, the way he leaves people, in the, the way he left the one guy in the chair, like, tense, tense. Or this will puncture do your not, jaw. Yeah, do not let this weight fall. <laughs> I mean, I just love him. He cracks me up. The the, the first time, uh, the line that makes me actually like him is it's not the song. I mean, the song is a song, and it's 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 clever. And like I agree with Cheryl, uh, the when Hoagie is being the shill through the song, and he plays the various characters. It, yeah. It, it, throughout, uh, it's kind of sort of. Um, the the him dressed up as the old lady is a little disconcerting for some reason because it's like nah he really does not look like an old lady, and nobody's getting this in the audience. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. Wasn't it great after uh, Doctor Terminus addressed the crowd how they all did the Ryan Kilpatrick fist shake? <laughs> of course you they did. That they all held their fists up in the air and shook them vicariously. <laughs> of course they absolutely did. They have but the, to. The, the the cure for walking in a bottle. Here, here's here's a hint, folks. Cures for stuff does not necessarily come in a bottle. <laughs> well, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, no, I like when they go to the when they're at the bar afterwards and they first meet Lampy. Okay, but yeah. when when it's just him and Hoagie sitting at the table, and he goes, "Yeah, I don't want to cure anybody here. They all deserve whatever they have." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah, that is that is rather amusing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and the the what what's starting to happen in the town is that you know after Pete made a mess there, he then Nora brings him to school, and he and Elliot makes a mess there, 
and the fish are have dried up from the from the ocean, which I found interesting because that part's never really explained. They blame it on Elliot, but it's just kind of happened. And there's the this being a fishing town, the a lack of fish is what we would call a problem. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know where they were going with that. It it, it didn't really get explained. I- I thought it was plausible that Elliot was eating the fish. I mean, he's got to eat, but, you know, I, I can't imagine that they would all disappear either. I mean, he, he right. only ate, like, 12 apples and was done with breakfast. I mean, how many fish is he going to eat? Right, exactly. <laughs> I, think it, was a veg- I think he was a vegetarian, so I don't, I don't think he was Elliot. Perhaps I he, think that's maybe, entirely possible. Maybe it was Doc Terminus came into town, and it was his fault. Mm, never know. I, I think we should just blame everything on Doc Terminus. It's very I think that's entirely possible. Yeah. I think Marvel needs to make a comic book with Elliot versus Doc Terminus. <gasps> Ooh, I love it. Me too. That would be awesome. Uh, but Lampy and, and Terminus, or rather Lampy and Hoagie, uh, get drunk together. There's a lot of drinking in this movie, I just have to say. Yes. Which is really odd for me for a Disney movie. Like we've seen in other film, other Disney movies, they have a you know a little drink here or there. Like Darby O'Gill, there was some, and you know that sort of thing. But like, there's a, there's a lot of drunk people in this movie. How do you not put drinking in Darby O'Gill, right? Yeah, I mean it's in. It, to be not to be stereotypical, but it's in Ireland and it's part of it's set in yeah. the pub, you know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's weird. But they they get drunk and go down to the cave, and that's when it, and they see Elliot. And that's when they give him the liquor, which, as we have mentioned, children, this is inadvisable. Do not give liquor to a dragon. No. Bad choice. Yes. Bad, bad things can happen. Save yourself. Yes. Make good choices, children. Uh, don't give liquor to dragons. If we can impart you with one piece of wisdom from this show, that's what we want you to take away today. Uh, and, and then Hoagie goes back to Terminus, and, and Terminus figures out that, you know, hey, there, we can use a dragon if this is really a dragon, and he can make real potions. Which, again, I found a little strange, because his potions aren't real. Yes. But he was... he'd been sued malpractice in the town for it. That's right, that was when he had to get what he had to give up the horses for. But I thought it was interesting, too, because at the same time that we're saying this... He's not making dinner in that one scene. He's making one of his potions, and he's asking the recipe for it. Right. So I, I, I start to wonder, did he actually believe in what he did? Which, which it could possibly be that he did, but it's kind of sort of strange because looking from the outside, we would never believe that. Well, I would hope not. Right. Because, again, cures don't necessarily come in bottles, nor are they necessarily liquids. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I mean, it just, that, that, that's all it is. It's strange because, like, you're not really sure if he actually, you know, believes in in his in his potion making or not. Right. So the fact that he would then chase the dragon, so to speak, is um, a little weird. But you know, it happens. Um, and and. We then we get the Gogans to come back into town, and they have the confrontation with Nora that that Bree was talking about, where they're singing the song back and forth of "We own Pete," and Nora saying, "No, you don't, because we love him," and yeah, yada yada yada. Uh, but it sets up the the big climax of the Gogans want Pete, Terminus wants the dragon, the townspeople want Elliot out of town, and they set up this big trap to get Elliot uh, in the in the warehouse or whatever it is at the at the at the pier. 
uh, to capture Elliot kill, and kill him for Terminus. Then Pete goes with the Gogans, and everybody would live happily not ever after. <laughs> happily not ever after. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting. So, it, because it's very important, right, that the it's always the um, – how do I say this? The um, – the villain, well, the villain of the movie is always has this ability to turn the townspeople who aren't necessarily bad people into doing bad things like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is a really good movie example of that. Poor Bell Road, same example. Oh, really? Yep. He was he was singing to us. He was a charlatan. He was all this, and he was uh, telling well, them all this stuff. That I, well, that I agree is like the song that he tells at the beginning. But what I'm saying is when when he gets the, when he enlists the town people and the fishermen and plays on their fears and stuff like that to get them to to play a part in capturing Elliot. Right. That's that's yeah. more what I'm talking about because those people were not going to do that had he not planted that bug in their head. Right. Yeah. It's. He he definitely turns them a different, you know, a different turn than what they would normally have done. So, it's interesting. But, of course, things don't work out that way. Elliot escapes, scares off the Gogans, scares off Doc Terminus, saves uh, the mayor, who we have not mentioned is played by the wonderful Jim Backus. Yes. Well, he only has three scenes in the whole movie, so... Yes, but they're the <laughs> same scene over and over again, and they're funny. Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, and, and of course, and you know, then Elliot uh, has to leave because, as Pete mentions early in the movie, he only comes to kids who need him. And then Pete is established with Nora, Paul, and Lampy. Uh, Paul being Nora's long lost fiance that we talked about earlier, who comes back due to the Gordon fisherman. And well, uh, Pete, Pete, well Pete has to save the light. Has to light the light. Elliot. Paul, Elliot has to light the oh, light. Sorry, That's right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm no, 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 you're right. Me, Elliot lights the light so that Paul can come in. Yeah. Because he was here. He was heading for that reef. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, but Elliot lights the light, saves Paul, saves everyone, and uh, Paul and finally sees Elliot, which is which is which is one of the revealing scenes in the movie. Yep. Because this is, the whole movie, she was like, yeah. Well, I, at, you know. at, at that point, the whole town had seen him. Yeah. Right. She was the last person to know. (laughs) I love how nervous he got before she gave him a kiss and then he disappeared. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the thing. And then Elliot has to leave because Pete is established with a family, so he has to go off to another kid who needs him. Mm. Which I thought was kind of corny, but it worked. Well, it made sense for the story. I kind of thought yeah. weird he wouldn't see him again. I mean, I understand, you know, go off see with another kid. Maybe, you know, maybe he come past through the town and checks up on Pete. I don't see why that why he couldn't have done that. Maybe he does. In in the in the comic book that Todd and I are going to produce for Marvel, maybe that's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they totally see each other again almost every night at the Magic Kingdom in the Main Street Electrical Parade. So I'm they, just saying, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, so continuity speaking, you know, in the Main Street Electrical Parade, we're seeing Pete in the middle of the movie. Exactly. I don't know how that works out. (laughs) They are are reunited, people. Reunited. It's kind of like when you're seeing the Beast in the parks, and you're like, wait a minute, didn't he get fixed? Yeah, we we call that particular outfit, thanks for dressing me, Mom. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, I want to know what were your favorite songs in the film? Todd, you first. What was your favorite? Oh, my favorite? Uh, so, actually, I... <laughs> wow, I hadn't even thought That's about That's a polite that. way of saying he didn't like them. No, yeah, no, I did like them, but the thing is, I don't know that one stands out to me as any one that I go around humming. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean... That that's that's what I'm trying. That's what I usually try and think of. Um, yeah, I don't see. I don't hear any of these songs playing on Main Street on loop on loop. No, you I'm wouldn't. Also radio. Yeah, they're not catchy songs. They're just I, I would call them endearing. Yeah. Well, I think they're like like we've been saying. I think they're set up like a musical. So they're there in service of the plot. They're not necessarily there to be, you know. Uh, songs in of themselves, right. so they they they're very much in the lines of a musical in that there's lots of speaking parts in the middle of them. The singing is not there. It's not like Julie Andrews singing songs in Mary Poppins with her beautiful voice. It's you know they're they're very much you know serviceable singers more than anything else. There are some songs that I like because they remind me other of other things. Like for some reason, okay, Brazzle Dazzle Day. Okay, reminds me of Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. I do okay. not know why that is, but I get that it, it's something about being on the shore, which is you know th the whole thing. And, and I don't know; it's just for some reason that tends to pop into my head during that scene. For s understandable, okay. I'm I'm a bit partial to um, "There's Room for Everyone." That's actually. I think my favorite song from the film. And again, like Cheryl and Todd were saying, not one you go around humming, not one you'll hear on the Main Street loop. But as I was saying, it's endearing. It's kind of a lovable song, and it's a good scene. Yeah. Right. And, and considering it's a song about equality being sung by someone who is like one of the at the forefront of of the uh, feminist movement, it's actually a more meaningful when you look at it that way. That's true. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. I, I like "Candle on the Water" not because. I think the song is, is the best one in the movie. I just, I like the song and I feel like, like when I listen to it off and when I'm not watching the movie, it doesn't really appeal to me that much, but watching the, her and watching the movie, I, I really liked it. So. Right. Well, yeah. so that's, that's true for a lot of broad, remember when we were talking about the Broadway quality of it, right? That's true for a lot of Broadway songs is usually yeah. you walk away, you usually walk away from a musical with one or two songs in your head and you really don't generally remember everything else. Okay, but when you see them in the scene, they always fit the scene, and that's true for every song in this movie. Is the song is perfect for the scene, right? Yeah, that yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like these songs are good and they work in the movie, but they're not you know songs you would take separately. And it should be noted, by the way, like these songs, these were not Sherman Brothers songs like we saw in Bedknobs and Broomsticks or Mary Poppins. Um, these are these are songs that were written by a different duo. Al Kasha and Joel Hirschhorn were the songwriters for this one. Yeah. And I don't think we never heard of before. Yeah. And and I just want to also give props to the voice of Elliot, because I don't think we mentioned that yet, Charlie Callis. Mm -hmm. Because even though he doesn't really speak, it's you know he does though. Yeah. So well yeah. he has the little you know, that that business, which is yeah. He does a good job of making that endearing, like you said, yeah. Yeah, 
I actually I think that's probably I would think a good word for the entire film. Endearing. Also no, wanted to say, used to be used to be a place Sinestro f- as part of the Legion of Doom on the old uh, Super Friends Challenge of the Super Friends cartoons. Really? He yes, he did. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think overall the movie is. I mean, like you said, Bree, it's endearing. You know, it's not it's not one that I would say is, you know, just an instant classic or anything like that. I do think that watching it now as opposed to watching it, you know, if it, if it came out in theaters today, it probably would not be – it wouldn't do well. But I think watching it at home and watching it in the context of the other Disney films, it, it actually does it, – it, it holds up better than, than people think. Yeah, in in a way like the Sword in the Stone, how we call that a comforting film, one that just makes people feel comfortable and homey. Yeah, kind of like kind of like this film. They don't have that classic Beauty and the Beast Fantasia appeal, but they just have that quality that makes you feel happy and Disneyfied, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely like I could. You could have given me this movie, and I would have been like, "Yeah, it's a Disney movie." Even if it didn't have, you know, Buena Vista pictures at the beginning of it, or the Walt Disney Castle, or any of that stuff. It's it's definitely a movie that screams, "This is Disney." Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's it's looking to be a family film, and it is a good family film. Yeah, absolutely. there's no question there. Yeah, yeah it's in, it's just interesting. It's one of those that falls in that in that really weird period between uh you know like the the late 60s stuff where they were exhausting films that that walt had done and you know when the the company was trying to reinvent itself you know you'll remember black hole comes out you know a few years after this and you know some of those things that that didn't quite work as well or tron uh that that came out a few years later that um we will get to eventually it's just interesting that in the middle of all of that comes a movie that is so quintessentially Disney from 15 years before it was released. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That was that was Leonard Maltin's problem with the movie. Yeah. At the time, it just it doesn't fit the time period. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's just wrong for when it is. Yeah. Um, All right. So, Pete's Dragon. There I is got one. S- wait, wait. There is one connection that was missing. What's that? Oh. There was no Star Wars connection, folks. <gasps> no! No! Other than sharing a year of release. Yep. Oh. Well, I think that's enough. I think that's it right there. Yeah, no. That's enough. true. No? No. I actually okay, well, have... Really shot. I do have something to add um, before we grade this. Um, at the end of the film, when Dr. Terminus gets his leg tied in the harpoon, shot from the cannon, and he flies through the roof of the building... Yeah. Yeah. I I saw that it was actually the goofy holler that they inserted. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool that they added that in. So yay, goofy. (laughs) Oh, who doesn't love it? Who doesn't love a good goofy screen? Absolutely. Um, I just had two things about the lighthouse that I wanted to mention. Um, Please do. It 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 was built on Morro Bay in California. Okay. Um, and they had to, um, in order to run it during the night scenes, they had to get special permission from the Coast Guard so that the Coast Guard could alert ships because it was mm-hmm. actually a real operating lighthouse. Okay. But now there were actually plans to have it moved to be in Disneyland. Yeah, that we already mentioned okay. that. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. 
I yeah, Bree mentioned Why did it. I miss that? Why did yeah. I miss that? I don't know. Because I mentioned it, Todd. You don't listen to me, Todd. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm probably reading something else. <laughs> I do that. You were sleeping. I do that. It might, it might have been. He might have fallen asleep. You I never know. So. What? I'm sorry. I was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, Passamaquoddy is not a real town. <gasps> yeah, I kind of okay. figured that. Yeah. And uh, the the But it is... It is talking about Passamaquoddy Bay. Now, you mentioned it's Maine, right? But did you actually know that there's contention on that issue? No, please enlighten me. Yes. So because Passamaquoddy Bay is a bay that's actually um, partly partly U.S. and partly Canada. Okay. Okay. So on one side you have Maine, and on the other side you have New Brunswick. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of things that are actually in elements of the town, some elements indicate that it's it's a town in Canada, and some elements indicate that it's a town in Maine. Interesting. Okay, so it's it's actually was in contention, and for years afterwards, both sides of the of the bay would actually have tours showing places that the movie was supposed to be referencing. They don't. I don't think they do them today. Okay. But they used to, so they used to have tours for for years afterwards. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go. You could go. Uh, you used to be able to go check it out. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So, uh, Pete's Dragon. What do we think, people? Who wants to go first? Cheryl. I will go first and say a two. All right. We're not talking to Cheryl now. Um. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I mean, I really. I mean, I really didn't connect with this movie I'm, as much as I connect with Elliot in the Main Street Electrical Parade. So that's how I, I, that's how it was. I don't know why I didn't connect with it. I just didn't. It's interesting. Okay, Bree, what'd you think? Well, despite the lack of Fernando, um, yes, <laughs> I, I did really enjoy it. I want to give it a three and a half, but something in my mind and in my gut tells me to go with a four. Um. And I think I'm going to have to go with my gut and my mind and go with that four. As well um, you should. You know, it, it's just when, as I was explaining, since Elliot is now one of my favorite Disney characters, like he's just so heartwarming and so lovable. And how can I grade this film any lower than a four when one of my favorite characters is in this film? I, I'm with you. I hear you. And it's all about him. Even though you can't always see him, you know he's there. Yeah. Which I, which I think is one of the messages of the film when he does have to leave Pete at the end. Um, I think maybe this is a good film for children to see, too, when they might be feeling alone or like they don't have anyone in this world. Like there's always you have that one person or the one imaginary friend or whatever who's by you. Yeah. That whole yeah, through the growing years. And I think that's what Elliot signifies. So I'm going with a four. I agree. Todd, what'd you think? Um, well so like I said, I mean I have I I love the story, I love the music, right? But I have a real problem with just the direction because I think that it 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 hurts the Act, I think the direction hurt the acting of the actors, like I said earlier in the podcast. Right. So, and as a result, I don't think that. Well, I think it, had that not been the case, I might be giving it a stronger rating. But I kind of sort of feel it's a three and a half. Mm-hmm. 
you know, because I, I really like it. I like watching. I've never felt like I shouldn't be watching this movie when I sit down to watch it. But at the same time, I just I can't get past how how poorly directed it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I, I also would give it a three and a half. I think there's some definite plot holes and things that make it a little difficult. Uh, but it's fun. Like, it, it's sort of breezy throughout. And I, I really think that this is a movie that Disney should... I mentioned Disney theatrical, but they should remake this movie, I think, as a full-scale musical. Or, if they're not going to do it in the musical setting, I think this is one that's ripe for remaking, especially with CG these days and what they could do with it. Um, or I, I think have a it's, better idea. Let's do it with another kid. Let's move him along. Yeah. That's what I, would like. I, I think that might be a better story, too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, do it, have a new kid, and this is where Pete landed, and this is what Pete looks like today, and all that kind of stuff. I think they could do something with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. They'll have a new uh, kid and call it Michael's Dragon or something. There you go. Freddy's Dragon. There we go. Miley's Dragon. No, that would be bad. Uh, but yeah. I'm just saying, you could go a lot of different ways. Uh, but that that's Pete's Dragon. So I think, in general, we would all recommend seeing it, except Cheryl. I still would recommend seeing it, but I wouldn't recommend... I wouldn't three bucks for it. <laughs> but the, the uh, Bree, Todd, you would recommend uh, checking this one out? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So if you haven't seen it, go go scope it out. You're, I think you'll uh, you'll enjoy it, and uh, we'll we'll get to work with uh, theatric Disney theatrical on making this a Broadway musical, so that everybody can enjoy it. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, until next week, you can keep in touch with us in a variety of mediums. There's Facebook. You can go to facebook.com slash Disney Film Project. Check us out there and leave us a comment on the show. You can tweet us when the show comes out. Tweet us at at Diz Film Project and let us know what you think. You know, Let us know what you thought of Pete's Dragon if you watch the show. Uh, you can, on the website, DisneyFilmProject.com, you'll see show notes uh, where we'll talk about the different things that we talked about in the show. And you can leave a comment there and say, hey, I liked Peach Dragon, and I think it's a four, and Cheryl's crazy. Or you could say, you know what, Cheryl is the voice of reason on this program, and you guys need to listen to her. So either way, you could, you could do that. Uh, you can also, don't forget, you can listen to the show in, uh, you can download the show on iTunes. If you do that, I, uh, would really appreciate it. We all would, if you would leave us a review that, that helps us, uh, find, help people find the show. It'd be great. Uh, you can also listen to the show on Stitcher radio. Thanks to Mr. Chief technical officer over there. Uh, he put it up there. Uh, that would be Todd in case you weren't following along earlier. Uh, <laughs> And then let's remember, uh, all of us have lots of bloggeration going on. Uh, now, with extra added blogging at DisneyDrivenLife.com, you can you can read Bree's attraction blogs, you can read my movie blogs, and then you can see Todd, who kind of makes it all work. I don't really know what he does. I think he actually has, like, a magic wand or something. And he just, like, you know, casts a spell. And it's sort of like Harry Potter, but, but not really. Um, but he, he does wizardry. Uh, of the chief technical variety at DisneyUrbanLife.com. So go check that out. Uh, and you can read uh, blogs from Todd and myself at TouringPlans.com. I read a blog but from Todd about shopping this week, which I never thought I would read, but I did, and it was good. <laughs> Wait, you were there. 
I was there. Yeah, you were in the store when I took pictures. This is true, but it, <laughs> I still never thought I would see a, a blog from, you know, uh, Todd on shopping. That That is something I didn't think. But you know what? It was good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, awesome. but, so go check that out. Go 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 read Todd's blogs over at touringplants.com. They're they're quite quite wonderful. Uh, and and just make sure that you tell your friends about the show. We would really appreciate that. So if you can tell them, hey, you know what? I have these four great people that that talk about Disney movies and it's fun and they make jokes and they talk to the Gorton's fishermen. That we would love that. That would be great if you could do that for us. So uh, until next week. Remember that there's room for everyone. Why do I hear that bell ringing? Go invisible. <laughs> <laughs>